in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. My name is George Van. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are two brothers who analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and I'm here with my brother. Hey, it's Chris. I'm the Herodotus to your Doris Kearns Goodwin, and that we're talking about the great turnings of history. We are indeed, Chris. We are going to be diving into another Ian Punnett episode today, actually. Ooh, baby, Ian, dude, the smooth sounds of Ian Punnett. You know we love Ian. He is a professor of journalism. He has his PhD. He's an Episcopal deacon, and he is a radio show host. There's nothing this man can't do. That's right. Number one in the Episcopal clergy and number one in your hearts. Very, very true. We are going to be listening to his episode from August 12th, 2023, interviewing Neil Howe about his uh, fourth turning theory. I don't really know what to call it, but theory feels right. Well, it's so he's saying that we're on the fourth turning. So I would say that it's the turning theory. Okay. The turning theory in which we are on the fourth one and there are four total. So we are at the last turning. It, or And, you know, it's almost like the rhythms of generations. Is We're going to really... get into it. Yeah, we'll get Don't into spoil. it. We'll get into it. Don't spoil. Okay, you're right. I'm just so excited to talk about this, Paul. I know, because this is one that you actually know a lot about, right? Did you read his book? I read the book. Okay. So this is one of the episodes where you are probably going to be filling in most of the information. Right. All I know about this but is I, I watched one TikTok video of some like Joe Rogan douche talking about it. And then I w- listened to this recording. Perfect. So I'm, I have, I really don't know too much about what's going on. But before we get to any of that, Chris, we got to check in with our good friend Tim Penal at the Coast to Coast AM blog. Him time. Today's article Time Woman Claims Ghost Compelled Her to Jump from Bridge into Canal. This is the classic, would you jump off a bridge if your friends did? This woman didn't even have friends. Are ghosts more compelling than friends? Now, that's an interesting point. It would really be dependent on why I was supposed to be jumping off the bridge. That's a great question. Well, let's find out why this woman did it. A woman in Thailand nearly perished after she jumped from a bridge into a canal upon being rescued, claimed that a ghost had actually compelled her to make the perilous leap. Paul, can I tell you about the time that I jumped off the most famous bridge in Strasbourg, France? Uh, Please do. So there was this famous bridge. I forget exactly what the name of it was, but one of the first weeks I was over there, I saw some kids jump into the river from it. And I was like, what in the hell just happened? This wasn't like the Mississippi River, right? This was like a city canal, right? But all the kids jumped into it. And I was like, okay, that's kind of wild. And then I kind of kept on seeing it the rest of the time that I was there. 
And so I was like, at the very end of my year in France, I tell all my French friends, I got to jump into the canal as well. And so we get wasted my very last night at about 1 a.m. in the morning. I jump into the Strasbourg Canal, part of the Rhine River complex, and I was soaked head to toe, dude, trudging all the way back to my host family's house because the tram system had already been shut down. Wasn't that river kind of gross? It was incredibly gross. There were like river rats that swam in it frequently. What? So was this like a tradition of some sort in the region or like, I'm confused why there are a bunch of people jumping into a dirty river. So it seems as if it was, Strasbourg was a very international city. And so it seems like it was more the international kids and the kids from other parts of France that would do it. It was not the Strasbourg kids. All of my French friends who were like Strasbourgians were like, please do not jump into that river. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you had a good time. It doesn't sound like a ghost told you to do it, though. No, it was it was it wasn't even peer pressure. And that's so I'm like, I'm no better than this woman jumping off of a bridge because of a ghost. Well, let's find out more about it, Chris. Okay. The bizarre incident reportedly occurred in the city of Bangkok on Tuesday morning when several astounded bystanders spotted the unnamed resident flailing around in the waters of Sanam Chai Canal. Dude, was the last time we were in Thailand when we were hearing about them, the couple that won the lottery and did a big feast for their ancestors? Yeah, they did the ghost buffet, and they yeah, showed the a ghost. movie. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Dude, a lot of Thailand, Thailand rules. Full of ghosts, apparently. I love Thailand. Fortunately, they managed to pull the woman to safety, and when her family later asked how she wound up in such a predicament, she offered a truly unsettling explanation for what had unfolded earlier in the day. Hey, Grandma, why did you jump into the river off of the bridge? According to the woman, while riding her bike near a bridge which crosses the canal, she noticed a man who was dressed all in white and beckoning her to come over to him. Now that's interesting. The the man in all white. Very spooky. Or very positive. Very pleasant. That's true. In uh, Good Omens, which I just finished season two of, the angels wear all white in that, and they're pretty funny. However... When she got close to the mysterious stranger, she suddenly began to feel faint and heard him saying, I want you to die. I want you to die. So not good. This Less is positive. not a positive being. Less positive. A little demonic. Oh my God. The all white. I didn't think that that beings could be such misnomers, that they could be such yeah. tricksters. Yeah, I mean, devil is a trickster god, technically. That's the origin of the term devil. That's right. Well, and also I'm thinking, you know, in the West, we have an idea of an all, of being dressed in all white and radiating as Mm -hmm. being positive. I wonder if the East, if that would be explicitly positive. It could be different in Thailand, for sure. Um, Right. There could be somebody explicitly dressed in all white 
maybe is more of a symbol that they're dead than that it's positive right and it could even be some sort of like recent cultural thing too if that like you know horror movies right can have like Mm -hmm. a big impact on our psyches and what we think is scary the exorcist being a huge one where no one ever thought about demons before that movie came out like right for real her memory of the eerie events ends there. Subsequently, she woke up in the hospital with no idea why she was in the facility. A little amnesia, huh? The woman insisted that she had no desire to take her own life by jumping from the bridge and theorized that the unnerving man was a spirit who had compelled her to do so. This is kind of, I think, probably one of those cases. I forget what the phenomenon is actually called. But do you know, like, when you've just climbed a mountain, have done a really long hike up a, up a really tall mountain, and you're, like, standing over a cliff, and you're like, I could jump off this cliff right now? No. You've never thought that? No. Wow. Okay. I mostly think terror of if I were to fall off the cliff. But you've never, you've never been like driving and been like, I could crash my car right now into that tree or into that person. I don't normally have intrusive thoughts like that, honestly. Oh my I know, god, dude! I know I that feel like it happens to me all the time. No, it doesn't really happen to me that often. Those I don't have intrusive thoughts like that. Yeah. Okay, but you are aware of the phenomenon. I'm aware of the phenomenon. Fully aware of the phenomenon. Of people having these thoughts. I don't normally have them, but yeah, people do. This woman succumbed to the thought of, I'm driving my bike over a bridge. What would happen if I just went over the rail? Yeah, I mean, apparently. But she didn't succumb to that intrusive thought, Chris. A ghost told her to do it. Oh, that's, that's what I meant. Yeah, thank you for correcting. Amazingly, the presence of the suspected ghost was seemingly confirmed by another individual who happened to be near the scene a few hours before the woman jumped from the bridge. We got witnesses? We got witnesses to this ghost. Oh my Yo, God. This ghost was just hanging out by the bridge trying to get people to jump in for hours. WTF, mate. He was the, the ghost was just waiting for someone who was like, weak-minded enough apparently to take over well i don't want to say weak-minded it could be like a hypnotist thing where like if you're left brain or right brain you're more susceptible depending you know what i mean this is like the three billy goats and the troll dude what is going on here having heard her chilling story anuma whose last name i'm not even going to attempt revealed that she and her mother were driving past the same spot earlier that day when she noticed a peculiar stranger dressed in the same manner described by the woman. Dude, I love when we got ghost collaboration. You gotta have a witness to the ghost. That's why you always go ghost hunting with friends. When they turned around to get a better look at the curious man, he was nowhere to be found, leading the secondary witness to also conclude that the stranger was some kind of sinister spirit possibly connected to the previous tragic incidents that have occurred at that bridge. We have an evil spirit who maybe took their life at this bridge. And then actually, I've been reading a lot about Russian folklore recently. Don't ask me why. (laughs) Don't ask me why. (laughs) Okay. But uh, one of their ideas in Russian folklore is like the, the Vladinovia. And the Vladinovia is a being that 
explicitly has killed themselves, almost always female, and has killed themselves because of in the water. And so I wonder if there is something to this, right? This idea of killing yourself because of drowning in the water and somehow that manifestation staying in the region connected to the geography of the area. I feel like that is a common trope, though, that water is somehow like transitive in its nature, you know, where yeah. you pass through, you use it to pass through. I mean, it's in a lot of movies to too. the next world. It, it was in Constantine I mean, where he uses the cat in the water. That's a thing. Narcissus and Echo back to the Greeks, right? Oh, yeah. Like the 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 use of water in in waterfalls and ponds and lakes and fjords. If you're talking about like Nordic countries and stuff, people committing suicide at these places typically because of spurned love or heartache these are these are ancient tropes well i'm a i'm a trash person and all the tropes i have are pop culture so like i just watched leftover season three kevin always he kept drowning himself and dying and going to the spirit realm through water and then coming back man i don't think the leftovers is trash no no i just mean that all i not i mean i I mean i don't have classic examples I was going to say, unless you consider all of television to be trash, I think Lovers is about the highest <laughs> level of, like, television that you can get. Okay, maybe, maybe I am classy because I rewatched that. It's a good, it held yeah. up, dude. That show holds up. Yeah, dude, that's good stuff. Well, you're always going to win with religious elements, right? Yeah. And I think we have a lot of religious elements in stories of committing suicide near water. I think you're right. But Chris, we got to move on. Let's get to some housekeeping. Housekeeping! You can support the show at patreon.com slash coast to coast PM. That was a first, whatever that was. Um, (laughs) Now I'm thrown off. We also have a subreddit, uh, R Coast to Coast PM, that you could join. We have over 100 people on it now. It's bumping. So if you're on Reddit, please go uh, join that as well. And you can interact with mainly Chris, but I try to hop in too. You can email me, c2cpmpod at gmail.com if you have show requests or general positive vibes. Uh, and then also, if you want to leave us a review on Apple, that would be super cool. Drop us five stars as well. Uh, and then you can do the same on spotify and a quick shout out to someone who recently left us a review a quick shout out to uh aaron who recently left us a very nice review as well as bobo beefy mcmeat raw and alien mojo uh love you all thank you for dropping those kind words yeah dude love the the delicious comments you guys have been smashing it on leaving the reviews so thank you so much And we read them, and they make us feel nice. So please keep doing it. (laughs) Warm bubblies inside. Posse vibes.
And if you leave us a comment, uh, we want to show our appreciation for that as well. So please send a screenshot of it to c2cpmpod at gmail.com. That is in the show notes. You can also message Chris on Reddit or Twitter, or you could, um, I guess, just email me is the only way you can really contact me. But send it to us in some way. And if you want us to send you a little gift in exchange for it, uh, send us your mailing address as well. And we're going to ship something nice out to you. So uh, keep that in mind. We're not above bribery at Coast to Coast PM poll. No, we're not. So anyone who has made a comment will get a gift. And anybody in the future who makes a comment will get a gift until we deem it too cost prohibitive to keep on giving people free stuff. Very true. But you're going to get it. Also, if you sign up for a Patreon, you're going to be getting a Christmas gift for me and Chris. So uh, we'll reach out about that as well. We just want to give y'all stuff. We want to send y'all shit. That's it. You ready for the show, Chris? Let's go, dude. I am so excited for this one. I have been asking you for something along these lines yeah. since I think we started this podcast. Yeah, usually we do like listener requests this was a chris request this was specifically from chris so what made what made you i want let's go behind the scenes let's give the people a little yeah. like behind the music 90s vh1 yeah. right what made you succumb to finally saying all right i'll check out one of chris's requests because listeners i'll tell you i don't get many <laughs> so I listened to it as a thing. So I, I had seen a video from like some Joe Rogan bro who talking about the fourth turning. And I think it left a bad taste in my mouth. Not that I, I actually kind of like Joe's show, honestly. Like I listen to it whenever he has people I like on there, but it's the, a lot of Joe Rogan listeners are really annoying right. people. So right. that TikTok video kind of turned me off from it a little bit. And then, um, you kept talking about it. So I listened to the episode and I was like, oh, wait, this is actually like a really solid idea and like a really fun concept. So I wanted to bring it on. Uh, that's kind of ultimately what led me to doing it. Normally, though, your requests are really weird and I can't find episodes on it because you're like, let's do something on fairies. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I can't just find a fairy episode and be I like, think, yeah, let's go. I think the specific request was the elves of Iceland. That's what it was. Ice, Icelandic elves. And I'm like, I don't even know, dude. I don't want to try and find that. I mean, I'm sure there's an episode somewhere, but is it good? I wanted to talk about it so bad. Well, and like also about VH1 behind the scenes, I have to listen to so much crap to get like good episodes. Because like there's a lot of filler episodes, dude, like that are not worth talking about. It's a daily four hour show yeah like that's a lot of filler they're not all heavy hitters right <laughs> so there are a lot of ones i gotta slog through to get things that i think would be fun for us to actually comment on but if you want to listen to some of the ones that weren't as fun that i still wanted to play check out our patreon where you can find some of those episodes all right chris you're gonna get into it let's get into it this is the Saturday, August 12th, 2023 episode with Ian Punnett interviewing Neil Howe about the fourth turning. So jumping into the episode, Chris, uh, something that we bring up kind of immediately is that I guess the fourth turning is sort of like a positive thing. The fact that we're inside of it right now. So that's good. The um, 
the fourth turning in its most recent incarnation in, you know, in sort of the timeline of, of your research um, is, I mean, I don't know if it was, if it was fair to say some of the other books, well, I mean, it's very optimistic. I'll just say that at a time when maybe a lot of other people are not optimistic about our future. Well, it, it is. And that, that was actually one reason that I wrote it. Uh, you know, look, uh, the, the last time we wrote about this, uh, uh, it was back in 1997. You remember the fourth turning came out. And of course, at that time, the fourth turning was still uh, a long ways away. It was about a decade away, right? Um, and uh, this new book is called The Fourth Turning is Here. And now we're in the middle of it. And it's uh, turned out to some extent a lot like we predicted. Uh, we we did forecast uh, that we would enter this uh, this era, uh, this this winter season of history, in the uh, the middle of the first decade of the 21st century. You know, 2000 2010. We would probably start with a great devaluation, a financial crash, and of course we had 2008, the yeah. global financial crisis. Uh, and, and uh, you know, nearly a decade of lost, uh, you know, median income growth uh, for American households. And All right, Paul, let me do this for our listeners, because I don't think he, we, we, no idea what the fourth turning is right now. Yeah, he just right. kind of, he just dove right into it. Yeah, like, we're supposed to have a working I- ideas of yeah. everything this man has written. Yeah. I imagine most of us don't. I didn't at all, and I was very confused. So I'm just going to kind of give the basic idea, the fundamental idea, and I'm sure many of you have heard it before, but it's the idea of good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make good men, good men make good times. And so that's the basic idea of the fourth turning is that there is a general rhythm and rhyme over generations and a generation being about 22 years. And so every 22 years, when a new generation is coming up, you have different levels of being in each of those different generations responds to the stimulus of their place within the power structure. And so it would be like millennials, Zoomers, Gen Xers, Boomers, right? And so you got your Boomers who are the old people. You have your Gen Xers who are supposed to be the ones coming into power that have the reins of power, but the Boomers have held on to power too long. They are the bad men, (laughs) The boomers are the bad men. Let's not forget that. And they have made the hard times. We're talking about the theory, though. Okay. Right. So that's a theory. It's it's a generational theory, essentially, of how each generation interacts with the world around them. How they interact and then how the time. So how the generation responds to the time and how the time responds to the generation and it's cyclical is the point yeah and we will have plenty of time to hate on boomers chris so no spoilers yet uh but you you are very right in that the boomers just refuse to give up on power which is kind of annoying to the point where 
we have our Congress people who are literally unable to function now. They're pooping their pants on live television. Paul. Mitch McConnell and Diane Feinstein are literally not functional human beings. They have doo-doo diapers. You want to know they, what, dude? They're controlling everything. And you know what, dude? You got to give Mitt Romney props. He recently said he's not running again. And he was like, there's enough people who are too old to be in office and we don't need another one. And I was like, you know what, bro? Props to Romney on that one because he is not running again and like thank the lord we need more people to stop doing that i'm only giving marginal props to that bane capital douchebag i am going to give the props where it's deserved and for that action i think he deserves props but regardless also bane capital douchebag chris i'll throw i'll throw it clear on it the other thing that he goes into is that it sounds like his previous book was actually pretty accurate and had some like decent predictive power, which I thought was kind of cool. And something I like about him is that he did have a book that you can reference to check these things. So it's not like a lot of people who are like, oh, I predicted all this stuff. And it's like, OK, where was it written down? You know what I mean? Right, you can't just right. Like with the Ouija board prophecies, you can't yes. just predict the past. We see this all the time, especially Toxic. especially with the folks who are doing astral projection and yeah. stuff like that, that it's like, well, we actually projected and we had these thoughts and and we were totally accurate. And they're always telling us something that they had foreseen in the future, in the past, telling us in the present. And it's like, okay, you can totally make that up. And you're totally right. At least this guy has written it all down for us to see did he do a good job or did he not? How yeah. how predictive is this generational theory that he has? Yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, and then we we I don't know if you recall Ian, but we had we had four or five scenarios. We talked about about how we would descend into the fourth turning along the way. What we would experience along the way. I believe that one of our scenarios was a was a WMD attack on New York by terrorists. Uh, another one was um, Russia would invade a former Soviet republic. Another one was a pandemic would break out. Um, and uh, another one was a Tea Party would uh, effectively lock up any further, any further deficit spending by the government uh, and, uh, and basically freeze, uh, freeze U.S. fiscal financing uh, I think the, there was one, the fifth one, that remains the down card, Ian, hmm. um, was that uh, a group of states would uh, practice, you know, nullification or refuse to right. abide by federal laws or taxes. Secession. And have, uh, the beginning of secession movement. And, you know, eerily enough, that I hate to say that that one may not happen. It's just, as I say a card that hasn't been turned up yet. Did you look at the other predictions he made in this book? No, I, I didn't pull any others up. I was just going okay. off what he said, but right. um, those all are pretty accurate, you know? And I think what the thing that I like about this guy is that it is a, a historical perspective right. and it's kind of like a general vibe. Yeah. You know, he's not trying to actually predict the future, but yes. he's saying this is going to be the vibe of this like two decade period. Yes. And this is going to be the vibe after that. And like, this is how it's kind of going to play out. And right, right now we are in a period of like great stagnation. 
yeah i think everyone feels like it, everything just kind of feels like it sucks it's not stagnation it's like stagflation right like it's becoming more cost prohibitive to live while also things becoming shittier yeah you know what i mean it's like not only am i getting not only am i paying more I'm getting way less for what I'm paying for. And, you know, and that's the interesting thing, too, is that it applies just not like economically, but also culturally, where it does feel like we are 100%. recycling the same crap over and over again. Nothing's new. Like, it's all just kind of dull. <laughs> like it's just and they're, not, they're not even recycling the good crap. Yeah. It's just they're just recycling crap now. And it's just like they'll watch it. They'll love it. They'll like it. They'll pay for it. They'll eat it. They're hungry pay pigs. Well, and like, even look at video games. I'm replaying a bunch of remakes right now because they just keep remaking all the old games and I don't right. want to play any of the new games. So like, yeah. I'm replaying the Resident Evil remakes that I already played when I was a kid. And it's like, well, I don't want to play the new crap. Like, I'll just do this. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so we're in a general sense of I don't care and everything sucks. Yeah. So he dives in from here and then talks about how his generation is different from his parents' generation. We uh, we we were aware of these differences, dramatically aware. And we were aware that our life experience was so different than our parents. Our parents, the World War II generation, you know, they, they came of age with D-Day. Uh, they 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 spent their early life building battleships and founding families, and we we had what we had Woodstock. We were yeah. taking voyages to the interior. We were keeping our lives on hold, and we were aware that we had such a different um, self-image of ourselves, a different purpose in our lives. So, what we wanted to do is find out did this contrast ever happen before, and why are generations so different? And we went back, all the way back in American history, and we found that, yes, we generations have been different since the beginning. And by the way, we also found out that no one had ever told American history as a succession of generations. That is a series of generational stories. Right. So, Paul, just right off the bat, what are you thinking? Are, do you buy that we can scribe future events from reading the past and especially focusing on generations i so i'm inherently skeptical of it because i have studied social sciences and i found it completely unable to have any sort of predictive power i think it is really only useful in hindsight to try and analyze mm. things mm. so what it almost reminds me of is like karl marx in communism where marx what he was attempting to do was create a social theory that had strong predictive power of how structures would end up right so mm. i think i'm i'm very skeptical of stuff like this now with that i do think this is a really cool way of looking at history though because we do have a tendency to view a time period like we look back at the 20s people were doing this people were doing that right but right. the reality is different generations have grown up with a different set of circumstances and view right. things differently and if yeah. we look at 
ourselves, like we're both millennials, we view the world and we interact with the world differently from our parents who are Gen X and our, you know, grandparents who were like more boomerish World War II. Silent generation, really. Silent generation. Yeah. Um, So like we do interact completely differently with the world. And that wasn't any different back in the 20s or in the 10s or whatever. Like every generation experiences this. So I do love this perspective for sure. I think it's really interesting. But what do you what do you think? Do you think there's predictive power here? I think there is, and I totally buy, maybe predictive isn't the best way to use this idea, right? I think it is useful, though, to figure out how do different generations behave and how do generations behave in different parts of their generational space right so like you said you brought up the 1920s so how did 20 to 30 year olds handle the 1920s compared to 40 to 50 year olds compared to 60 and 70 year olds Mm -hmm. right and you'll see right the culture is typically being generated by the younger people But then you have your older generations responding to the culture, right? This is, this is where we get our like satanic panic and think about metal music back in the eighties and stuff like that. And so now those kids in the eighties who were listening to those metal satanic albums are now the parents doing the anti-woke school stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's just, I think there is something that is very, very important for us to learn in looking at these generational ebbs and flows. Yeah, and I think that's where, because like you said, I think he he uses the predictive power of this very loosely. It's not like I know exactly what's going to happen. Like a remote viewer would be, this is more of like a historical perspective. And when he does talk about like the general vibes of generations and what's coming up, I think that that problem, the the looser you get with your prediction, the more I think it potentially works because there's just too many variables in place. Right. But the way he approaches it, I think is a way that doesn't really bother me. And I, I think is enjoyable to hear about. Because I think you explicitly stated it's vibe based. It's yeah, it's vibe right? based. Yeah. He's not saying there's going to be an earthquake in 2030. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's saying that there's going to be a a reactionary group that focuses on taxes and fiscal spending, and it's like okay. That's the tea party. Yeah. Right. And that's all he's really doing is he's like, there's going, he's looking at how do things respond in history and then saying, well, there's going to be a general response like this historical event, because we're kind of in a similar historical event as this X thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is a fine way to do it. I don't have any problems with that at all. Okay, I think that's that's general like social science, honestly. And right. it's just whether or not it works well, because most of the time I feel like it doesn't. 
But, you know, it's like one of my favorite examples is when I was I studied poli sci when I was in school, one of my professors was talking about when the Soviet Union fell and he was in school then. And his professor came in. This was like graduate school. And uh, he just walked in and everyone was expecting him to have some sort of answers. And he's like, before all, any of you ask, I have no idea what just happened. Because there was no theory, no understanding that could explain what just occurred with the Soviet Union taking itself apart. That had never happened before. Right. Um, and that's where, you know, I always get like a little critical of social science when people do try and um, ascertain like future events from it, you know? Right. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. There's yeah, like you said, there's just too many variables, but I think and he is pretty explicit. He's looking he's looking for the rhythms. Yeah. Yeah. of yeah. generations. He's looking for the rhymes of generations. And I think if you look it at at it that way, it's way more helpful than being like I can tell you what's going to happen in 2032 in May. Yeah. Which, speaking of the rhythms of generations, Chris, let's get into some of the gem- generations, specifically uh, boomers versus Gen X. And when you look at history that way, you find that these same patterns recur again and again. So one thing we're familiar with is, you know, boomers came of age, and of course, they rebelled against the the, the patriarchy of their fathers, and they rebelled against all these suffocating cultural impositions they want to throw off all that social obligation they want right. to be authentic rediscover themselves you know they they pursued utopian visions very idealistic and then everyone's familiar with the fact that generation came after them who grew up as children during all that chaos right they became famously pragmatic right bottom line oriented right. a little cynical kind nice. of lurking you know you know sort of a very different kind of collective persona. That's regeneration. That's Generation X. And we're we're children of two Generation Xers. Yeah, we are. And I, I mean, think they, this is a pretty good application. You know, like that's fair. That totally fair. And where the baby boomers were so loud. I mean, boomer literally in their name and i think a lot of people think well it's the baby boom it's all these babies being born i think it's their personality they are bombastic <laughs> yeah. people yeah and and the reason they are bombastic is because there's no underlying reserve of spirit these people are spiritually deficient as a whole generation they saw their fathers and mothers respond to such incredible trouble such incredible obstacles world war ii the great depression we can't even fathom what these people went through and the baby boomers looked at their parents and said we don't want to be that. Imagine the type of person to look upon a hero and say, I don't want to be that. Well, I think a big part of it, too, was that they grew up in a time of such excess and they never really like, you know, boomers growing up in like the 50s. Right. Right. There was just so much that they had and they never had to deal with any of the struggles excess. that their parents had either. And I think it just made them suck. 
mm-hmm. think that you need things to be a little harder sometimes. And like specifically, and I have to like do the throat clearing caveat here naturally, but like specifically like white boomers had it real good. You know what I mean? Dude, you can throat clear here, but black boomers had it really well too compared to their ancestors. I think they, it depends on the region, but yeah. They did way better. And most of them moved. If you're talking about the South in general, a huge proportion of them move to Detroit, Chicago, the West to take better paying jobs and did better than their parents. And that was something, right? There were multiple generations right there around World War II that did better than the generation before them, right? And I think they just assumed that that was always going to be the case. And that kind of economic ingenuity can only last so long. Well, and that's the thing is that they got to experience that because of the economic conditions that they were in, the boomer generation. And then they act like everyone else should just be experiencing the same thing. And it's like, no, we didn't get to grow up in that. This is a very different economic climate. That we didn't have. We didn't have the generation to be heroes, right? Because you got the boomers who come in and they screw everything up. (laughs) Gen X comes in and says, holy crap, these people are psychotic. I'm just going to keep my head down. Yeah. And that was all of Gen X. All of Gen X just said, I'm going to keep my head down. Look how many Gen Xers we had in the Senate and House of Representatives. It's actually terrifying. They are supposed to be the ones with the keys in their hand right now. Gen X is supposed to be driving the car. They're not even in the car. They're not around the car. They they haven't picked up the key. It's sitting in the change pouch that you keep at the front of your house. I love Gen X. I love them so much. I think they're great. I feel terrible for them. I I feel so bad for Gen X because they were supposed to, to get this whole power thing. They're going to be totally sideswiped because millennials are going to say, you missed your chance, bro. Oh, they did in a lot of ways. Speaking of millennials, Chris, let's get to the millennial generation. Let's go. You're going to have to stop me, dude. I know. I'm, I'm realizing we're going to have to segue this, you. This is turning <laughs> This is turning into a Sunday sermon dude, I know. very quickly. I know. This is only slightly off the rails. It's fine. Uh, but I'm going to segue you into the millennial generation. But what's interesting is you go back in American history, you find that same succession again and again, following the transcendental generation of of, of Ralph Waldo Emerson and Walt Whitman and William Lloyd Garrison, you know, the generation of prophets and feminists and commune founders and so on. Right after them came what was later known as the Gilded Generation of George Armstrong, Custer, and Ulysses Grant, you know, a generation of metal and muscle who just got these huge, enormous, violent jobs done in our country's history. Um, and they didn't talk much about it. You know what I mean? This, <laughs> right. they, 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 they pursued the, the almighty dollar, as they called it at the time. You know, root hog or die was their motto. But, but my point is you see this pattern again and again. And then after you have a generation of total pragmatists, total survivors, 
I mean, think about Gen X, right? Survivor kind of just has aged with them in the pop culture. Right. But after that kind of generation, you have a generation which is suddenly protected. A moral panic breaks out over how kids are raised. You know, we need kids with more structure. You know, we need kids who feeling wanted. They have to feel special. And of course, we have the millennials. So we're the protected generation of the survivors. Yeah, pretty much. They, okay. the, Gen X came out of the boomers yeah, and the then chaos, raised us. Yeah, the utter chaos of the boomers. The individualism and selfishness of the boomers yeah. then led to us. Which, honestly, I do think that there is a problem with how protected we were by Gen X. I think it has led to a lot of mental issues, a lot of anxiety and depression issues, where I don't think that a lot of the millennial generation was really given the tools to survive in society because of right. protection. Yeah. I think that's well, the problem that we're having right now. It was, you know, they always made fun of millennials for being the first generation that everybody got a participation trophy. Yeah. And I always wanted to be like, do you think I was six years old being like, excuse me, I think everybody needs a trophy actually. That was the parents. Yeah, they did it to us. And that is Gen X. Yeah. And so they're the ones who give us that mentality. That's totally right. And they, they've actually done studies on this too in workplaces of how often people need uh, to be uh, essentially commended for their work in some way. And it's like a boomer. It's once every like I have this, these numbers totally wrong, but just give you a vibe of it. Like a boomer was like once every six months. A Gen Xer was like once every three months. A millennial was like once uh, a month, and then a Gen uh, Zer was like once a week or something. Like right. it's like yeah, depending on where you like, are. Yeah, if you're not much more constantly praising the person. They're going to quit. Yeah. Gen Z is immensely insecure. I always thought millennials were insecure, but like Gen Z is even worse. They're the notification generation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they posted something and, and, and again, it was the millennials who started having the Gen Xers. We learned all these bad habits from yeah. the Gen Xers who learned bad habits from the boomers and so we're all just learning these bad habits. They're typically responses to the generation. And again, it's reactionary. It's reactionary. And so if you can kind of figure out how is the populace going to react as a generation, dude, you have something kind of special here. Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, Chris, we're currently in the fourth of the turnings, right? Which is kind of like, I guess, like the stagnation one. So let's right. get into that. This is the meat of the book, right? That that the fourth turning is here. And after these other periods of history, which you were describing that that happened, these turnings every. And I like how you've always used the term moods, right? These sort of mood eras, these sort of epochs, they're, they're, you can't quite measure them in like an exact year, but but the mood of the country, the mood of the people have changed and that we are heading into the fourth turning. Well, sorry, the fourth turning is here. And when this is over, we will go through a period of crisis that you're promising, but that we'll, we'll be back to heading during that really glorious first turning. Well, 
Exactly, and it will it will feel um, it will feel like a golden age uh, to those who who live through the climax of the fourth turning. I feel like we're kind of in a period of of extreme crisis right now. You know, I think I think we're at the front end of it. I don't think we're right. there. Oh yeah, we're at the it's, front end. It's gonna get worse. I'm feeling it. It's only going to get worse. I mean, listen. I'm not saying that I'm a prepper, but I do have some emergency food supplies in my house because I don't trust it. <laughs> I don't trust here, this right now. Here's what happens, dude. Joe Biden's going to die in the next year. Oh, oh, my God. Please don't. And I have a feeling that an absolute constitutional crisis where just the whole system fundamentally breaks apart. Everything is going to happen around the death of Joe Biden. Dude, you know, maybe we don't elect people that are 80 years old. It's a good idea. I didn't vote for him. I, mean, I didn't vote for him. But, I mean, okay, how old is Joe Biden actually? I didn't vote for though? Trump either. Hold on. Joe Biden is 80 years old. If he were to actually run again, dude, he's going to be like freaking, how old would he be? At the end of his term, he would be like 84 or 85 years old. Yeah. And then, all right, and then the other guy running, Trump, a spry 77. Right. So, yeah, he's going to be well into his 80s, too. Yeah, it's like, can we stop, please? Can we please stop? I want a Gen Xer in. I want it. Give it to me. And this is going to cause a constitutional crisis because we've given all these power all this power to people who are going to die and it's you can like pull out an insurance chart and start placing bets on how long these people are going to live like you can literally day by day now say all right there's a 60 percent chance this person dies today well, and the, day. the thing I always think about, too, is like, you know, our grandparents are like my wife's grandparents and they're similar ages to Joe Biden. And I love them all to death. And I think they're all fantastic human beings. And I love spending time with them. I don't want them running the country and our military. Are you having a hard time keeping up with these people, Paul? No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I was just curious because everyone keeps on telling me. They keep on having such a hard time keeping up with Joe Biden. I've seen videos of Joe Biden doing speeches and getting lost on stage, and I feel like they're lying to me. <laughs> and I've also seen comparison videos of Trump today versus Trump 10 years ago, and I'm not convinced he's at the same mental capacity. Neither of them are. Neither of them are. Nobody no can be. Nobody no can be. When you, when you hit 80, dude, you are not at the same capacity you were when you were 60. I'm like, Joe yeah. Biden is prime, dude. Like, those videos of him in the 80s in the Senate were are so funny. He was so sharp and quick. But, like, he was kind of old then. <laughs> dude, that's one of the conspiracy theories that I absolutely believe is that Joe Biden does not have a stutter, nor ever had a stutter in his whole entire life, that they made that up to explain why he's having so much trouble speaking yeah and that's a that's a hard conversation because like 
that is an actual problem with older people who go through mental degradation is that stutters do occur. And I've, I know people like in my life that this has happened to when they reach like very old ages. And I, I agree with you. I, no one had ever discussed Joe Biden having a stutter before this started happening. And it's like, it's, it's mental degradation from old age essentially is yeah. what I, I think it is. So I, I agree with you there, but Chris, we're off the rails again. We're off the rails. Let's get into an overview of American history in terms of turnings, because I think this is a, a pretty in- interesting breakdown. We seem to have these very um, uh, uh, sweeping eras of uh, civic reconstruction, uh, often in a time of public mobilization, a great deal of national urgency, when we completely tear down and remake the outer world of politics and economics, infrastructure, and so forth, uh, and, and in a sense, completely reinvent ourselves as a republic. And we do this about the length of a long human life. And historians are, are very familiar with the fact that the period of, of, of rebellion and, 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 and revolution in the colonial era was the late, the late 17th century, the late 1600s with with the with the glorious revolution and Bacon's rebellion and King Philip's war and so on, it was you know it was a, it was a horrible period. Um, and then about a a long human life later, about you know eighty ninety years or so, we had the American Revolution, and then again that same period, a long human life, uh, we had the Civil War, and then we had the Great Depression, the New Deal, uh, World War Two. And then here we are today, Ian. And so that's the first thing you notice. Now, these are the fourth turnings as, 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 as we define them. So do you buy that? Do you buy that we're stuck in these 80-year cycles of revolution? You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to take a deeper look at it, but it does seem to like generally align where there is some sort of social upheaval that does occur at at decently regular cadences. What do you think that he's onto something? Do you think that it does is this generational response? I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for me to say. I would need to read his book honestly to to get more information, but I like the vibe. Right. Is that because fair? I I think there is something, right? I mean, 80 years is long enough to establish a a practice, a norm, have the norm take place, become a norm, and then watch the degradation of the norm. And right, all go to hell. Right. And so we're at the point, and I think this is the case. I really do think this is the case. We are now at a point where we've watched a vast majority of norms that we have taken in as Americans, both politically, culturally, societally, and those norms are degrading quickly, incredibly fast. I think there's also an aspect to it. If I don't know how far back this would actually work, and I think he mostly just applies it to American society, but it seems to work especially well with the recent technological advances that we've had since right. America was created, like with the industrial revolutions, yes. with the like, I don't know what you call it, but like the information technology revolution. It, I think that probably contributes to a breakdown of norms because these norms have not kept up with where society is now at. Like Big time. The, 
the way that we had designed American society with the Constitution is not really applicable to where society is today. Like if you think about the Second Amendment and the fact that we now have AR-15s versus muskets, this the situation is different. Um, same thing with like general politics and like I think we all learned a lot about the way that uh, votes are counted in 2020. Right. And like, it's all kind of silly. Like a lot of what we do is very silly. It was necessary in like 1810, but now it's like, why are we doing it this way? Like, why do we still have electoral college? Why are we all getting together and like having this weird other vote with the like electors? Like all of it seems just a little dumb. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, right? This is the problem that we're having is that we have to change the general structure to describe the world in which we're living. We yeah. are still living in a world of 1776, mm-hmm. 1789. And in, shockingly, we've been able to, that that the founders created a world that was able to live that long. And then somebody like this would argue with me, but the world that the founders created does not exist today. Yeah. Right. The civil war being one of the great yeah. obstacles in the way that definitely changed everything. Right. And then as he said, FDR completely changes what the federal government is. And we are still living in the remnants of FDR's world, but they're fraying, they're tearing. I, I, like my grandparents barely remember FDR. Mm-hmm. In that world where we are that far removed from the generation that imbued the life force into our world, it frays that energy can no longer project itself and we need a new energy. We need a new world, a new way of describing the things in which we are seeing and the world in which we are living right now, today. That's that's a good point too about like the longer that we get from the people that created the structures and the norms, the more that it starts to break down. I think that's probably... Uh, he doesn't get into that, but I think that's probably something he should fold into this because I think it makes a lot of sense where it's like, yeah, we're talking about like four 22 year cycles. By the end of the cycle, you don't have anyone alive that remembered when all this crap started. Right. So I actually it makes a lot of sense that way. I really like that perspective of it. That makes yeah. me buy this a lot more because it's like, yeah, no one remembers FDR and that he made yeah. the federal government like it is today. Well, and they don't remember. And this is fundamental, Paul. This is absolutely fundamental. They don't remember the causes of the foundations that they put into place, the hardships, the terrible, horrible things that happened. Well, it's like the, the repealing of Glass-Steagall where we pulled that back because everyone forgot about all the stuff that led to Glass-Steagall being implemented. And, that, <laughs> like, and, that's, and that's one case. And that's one case. And that's what we're talking about. We've pulled away all the norms, all the norms, all the things that gave the community cohesion have been pulled apart because nobody can remember 
the terrible things that put those things into place in the first place. Well, and speaking of community cohesion, Chris, uh, he also talks a little bit about how great awakenings occur at a regular cadence, which can also be uh, a thing that pulls communities back together. Halfway in between these periods where we rebuild the outer world, so to speak, we have roughly in between, we have these periods where we rebuild the inner world of culture, religion, the arts, uh, values. You know, that's a big boomer word, right? Values. We reshape values. Now, that occurs roughly halfway in between. And very conveniently in American history, we number these things. We call them the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the third right. great awakening. True. And Many historians call the late 60s and 70s, the time when boomers came of age, as America's fourth or fifth great awakening, depending on what, if you want to start your count with John Winthrop, you know, back in the 1600s or Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s. Right. So you begin to see now the pattern. Now, these awakenings we call the second turning. This is the summer season. And the these periods of outer world crisis we call the winter season. Paul, I'm a little upset because I I found out about this through my dance with Christianity and that like every 20 years in America, there was a huge Christian revival. Yeah. Just about every single generation. If you go back and you look at every early America, yeah, there is a giant Christian revival of like evangelical Christianity that just sparks and takes a like takes the country by storm. Mm -hmm. And that hit me at a very early age where I was like, well, that's a weird thing. Why does that happen? What is going on? And I start. I started to develop this idea that it was like it. It was Moses in the desert, right? Eventually, the people turn away from God because they don't see God every day. They don't see God in the work that they're doing, and so they turn their back on God. Right. Start doing bad stuff. You got a period of bad stuff, and then something gets so bad that we have to re-inject God into the whole thing. Do you think we're in a period now where we are about to start bringing God back? Do you think there's about to be another Christian revival or Great Awakening of some sort? I have a feeling that it's all going to be intertwined. Yeah. That we're going to have this religious revival— I don't know if it's going to be explicitly Christian because I think this is the problem, right? This is the general problem we have with Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism. They're created for a world in which the digital realm did not exist. And I think we need a religion now that includes the digital i'm you're laughing you're laughing at me paul i'm not laughing at you i'm chuckling thinking about a digital messiah 
was kind of what I was thinking. It's, like, a but TikTok, it's not. Jesus. It, but I, I'm saying, I'm saying that. No, I understand right? what you mean. In my but, head, I just brought it to a bit. But I, I, I mean, Don't be the sensitive whole, about it. I, I'm sorry, but it's like the whole idea of the instantaneousness of communication, my ability to to respond, chat to almost immediately to anybody in the world at any time that I please. There is no religion that ever had that truly as a thought. And I think we need a religion that corresponds with that idea. And I also think that we do need like a new government and a new cultural sense, right? A new way of interacting with the world. And I think sadly, the problem is, right, that where we're coming from, and I this is why I'm such a big fan of the fourth turning, is that I think we're in the period of great crisis. And I think you're totally right. We're at the very beginning. We haven't even seen hardship yet. The hard stuff is coming, my friends. My coasternauts. I, I feel like there, I mean, I don't want to get into like a theological discussion, but I feel like there are applications of current religions that can't adapt to the digital realm. So I don't I don't necessarily think we need like something new. I think we just need something better than what we have right now. Like we need an I, improvement. I think I think Jesus, Moses, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna cannot encapsulate anymore the world in which we find ourselves. And I think that is why internationally you see an absolute devolution of religion. I mean, nobody is going to temple, church, mosque, whatever you call it, nobody is going. And I think it is because you I can't understand the world of Moses anymore. It doesn't make any sense to me. They're talking about scattering seeds. I haven't scattered a seed ever. I go to Walmart to buy my produce. This like world of shepherds and agriculturalists is not fit for the 21st century and to project us into the future that we need to behold. And I, I, I totally buy Paul that there are aspects that we're going to take from all these religions. That's a hundred percent right. But I think it will be something new. It will be a universal religion in which it's much more, I think rightfully so vibe based. I don't know. I think the the human experience hasn't changed in 2000 years. And I think that the metaphors are outdated, but I don't think that it's inherently different to be a human now. I think it just sucks a little bit more because we have way more attention problems and there's way more information bombarding our brain. But I think that a lot of techniques that are brought up in religions like meditation would actually benefit a lot of people today. Because if you shut off your phone and you just let your brain turn, like things like that, I think are still very much applicable. Meditation, prayer. Oh, great. Uh, 
I mean, I would love to see, you know, again, these ideas of ritualization. I mean, I really strongly believe in the ideas of ritualization, the ideas of symbology. I mean, I've been going to an Episcopal church, dude. I know all about ritual now. I'm a big fan of ritual. <laughs> Ritual's incredible. There yeah. is a strength in ritual. And that's what I'm telling you, Paul, is that this new religion will have these things. We're not getting rid of that stuff. But I think the Jesus story and I think the Krishna and the Buddha and Moses and Noah, like, we'll talk about them, right? They're a part of the human experience, a part of the human story. But there is a deeper, underlying, universal thing that connects us all that has not been mentioned in these things, that has to be mentioned, that has to unite the planet. And I know I'm talking like stupid and metaphorical and dumb, but I truly believe that. We need a world religion that propels the species forward. We need an alien invasion. I feel like that would help actually push that into reality so that we can all become one unit, much like in Watchmen. I was going to uh, say, okay, okay, Ozymandias. I'm just saying, I think that we need something to force us to I become it, unified. Otherwise, I don't think we ever will be. But Chris. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What that thing is, is going to be hardship. The thing we, is, is going to be a world war where a vast majority of us die. I'm reeling you in. I'm reeling you in, Chris, because we're getting off topic. And what we need to actually talk about is how the boomers suck. So let's get to that. If there's one thing that boomers hated about the American high, the first turning, right, after the right. crisis, uh, was that there was so much equality. I mean, one of the things we forget is that income equality uh, grew stronger, you know, in the late 30s, certainly during World War II, in the 40s, and the 50s, and the 60s, until by the time boomers are coming of age, the middle class was extremely strong. Right. And we were a very homogenous society. And boomers hated it. Middle class was a dirty word for them. It was, well, I think you, as you said, I think Pleasant Valley Sunday, charcoal right. burning everywhere. Remember that? Yeah. Well, well, that was a nightmare to boomers. But here's the thing. If you go to millennials today, they, they think middle class, that's a great idea. Right. Where is it? Where do I sign up? Can I, can I find it? So here is the difference, is that in the, in the awakening, we confront a society which is supplying too much order. You know, that's the lesson, of course, of the crisis, and that's what the first turning solves. We're a very ordered world. Uh, institutions are strong. Individualism is weak. I, I, I know I keep on doing this, but what do you think, Paul? I mean, I think that he definitely has a point about the boomers destroying the middle class. Right. Because the middle class has been dying, and it's the boomer generation that took it down. Isn't that funny? That is such a funny point that they detested the middle class ideal so much that they destroyed it. 
It it really is because it was also the American dream, right? It, right. They they have destroyed the American dream because that was the whole idea of America was that it's not saying that everyone is going to be rich, which is what it is now, right? Right. The American dream is becoming wealthy. It's becoming loaded. The and boomer the boomer ideal. The the American dream used to be you, you're able to work hard. You can get your house. You can get your car. You can have a television. You can have like two kids and support your family. And now we have two parents that both have to work, can barely support themselves, can't buy a house. We're all boxed out of the market. The only solution is becoming rich as hell. Right. Because being middle class isn't a thing. Just yeah. being okay isn't a thing. So yeah, I think he has right. a really good point there. And I also appreciated his acknowledgement that boomers ruined it for everyone because they honestly did. They are probably the worst generation we've ever had in America. It really is poetic, though. I mean, you got to give it up to the universal thrum. Yeah. That the poeticness of a generation of humans totally rebelling to the ideal of their parents destroys everything for the generations after them yeah and that's part of what makes me so angry about the commentary from boomers about like oh why are you just like okay like you just need to like work harder or millennials are too lazy and buying too many like lattes or whatever and it's like no y'all literally ruined everything like we can't do anything to fix this we're just trying to like live at this point and not have a miserable existence avocado toast baby yeah that's the reason why we're all broke you know what right. i mean like yeah it drives me. and then like i'll still see videos sometimes about people talking about like oh you shouldn't be paying for netflix if you have student loans or something dumb like that and i'm like yeah are you kidding me netflix is the only thing that takes your mind off the fact that like right. your existence sucks and you have no money and that is this is where we are right this is where we are in the world is that you have now the generations who have responded to the boomers with apathy. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that is probably universally a pretty accurate place where people go is apathy. But the problem with apathy is that it burns cold, right? And so one of the things that is going to happen is that we're going to see an economic downturn and that apathy burning cold in a real economic downturn where things start getting pretty darn bad and you can't have those little entertainments, Paul, where you finally do have to give up that Netflix subscription, not because you want to pay off your loans, but because you have to, to eat. That's when the anger comes. Well, me and you talked about this on our, we're getting way more political than I like to get uh, normally, but me and you talked about this on our previous podcast about why we wouldn't see revolution in America. And it's because we're all too freaking lazy. Like who actually wants to disrupt society right now? Like we want to just hang out and order some food and watch TV and play some video games. Nobody actually wants any sort of revolution. The most that we got was like, BLM where we were all stuck in our houses and going stir crazy. And then there were like, you know, some riots in some cities. And then, you know, on the right, you had the storming of the Capitol where a bunch of tourists show up and just like ram into a building. That is the 
and that was like their entertainment for the month, right? right? And they were all live streaming it. It was yeah. it was literally right. them creating content, and right. it was the dumbest form of a quote unquote coup that you could have had. Was a bunch of like forty five year old overweight people Facebook live streaming them running into a building. It was and so stupid. It, and calling it a quote unquote coup gives it more due diligence than it should ever. It have. doesn't deserve that. I have seen coups on TV. And it's not that. What that was was dumb. I've been pulling my hair out. <laughs> Even if they did hold the Capitol building, what would happen? What we were do? all going to start listening to these people? It's like the not whole, how <laughs> the whole federal government, all of the military just says, well, I guess the guy <laughs> in the buffalo headdress is the leader now. Because he holds the plot of land that we call the Congressional Building. Chris, there was a magic key behind the Speaker's podium that holds control of the government. You know that. It's unbelievable. Basic civics. <laughs> and now, and this is the thing, right? And this is he's, This is why the fourth turning is so good, right? Because this is all a destruction of norms. Yeah. And all of this destruction means that we will get further destruction of norms here on out. There are no more norms. Get this into your head, my coasternauts, right now. There are no more norms. Well, and it's just like everything just keeps getting dumber. And that's the thing is that like it was just everything's just so stupid. And I don't think it's getting better from here. But Chris, for our last clip. He talks about uh, Democrats and Republicans and how everyone is like leaning towards this idea of order. So I thought this was like a, actually a pretty astute observation that I wanted to pull. Well, and, it, and it's, it, it's kind of, but, but order is sort of in each, in, even, in, you know, we have red zone, blue zone that are so right. polarized today. And, and each of them has a different vision of order in the eyes of how they see the other. I mean, 90%. Of, of of Democrats think Donald Trump would like to transform our country into a dictatorship, and and ninety percent of the you know the the uh, Trump voters said the Democrats want to transform our country into a socialist country. I mean that comes right. directly from that comes from directly from a survey, and and what's interesting is they're both very ordered ideas, right? I mean, right. you look at industrial policy, you look at policies to help bring classes together. The movement against globalization, uh, both Blue Zone and Red Zone are actually supporting those things now. And Paul, what worries me, though, is let's take the Civil War as a reconstructive moment in America, right? A uh, 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 inflection point of revolution, right? You then get about a seven or eight year period of what's called reconstruction, right? When the Republican federal government and the military effectively are occupying the South, enforcing new norms on the people. Then, in about the mid to late 1870s, you get a reaction by 
the vast majority of whites in the South to the dictates of the Republican Reconstruction. And there's just like a mass counter-revolution in which the old white guard become the new power structure, right? Regain control of their states and then enforce Jim Crow sentiments on the populace. And so I guess the positive that we get from that, right, is that at least slavery doesn't exist. But we still have a subjugated people. And you have, and again, we're talking about Black people here in, in, in the South as a whole, right? But also lower class whites are being subjugated as well in a similar fashion to how they were being subjugated previously during the Civil War. We just kind of changed the names and stuff a little bit different. And a couple of the norms now are a little bit different. I don't feel good about this. Are we just these incremental changes? That's that's what that's all the lot of us get is a little incremental change. Is that all we're ever going to see until the glorious by and by when Jesus comes down and brings in new Zion? Like, is that all we're going to get is little incremental changes? Well, now you're just being an accelerationist, Chris, and that has never worked out, I don't think, in the history of the world. And this is where the fourth turnings come in, right? This is this is me reacting to, in my generation mm -hmm. to other generations. And I think you're totally right, Paul. I'm totally becoming a reactionary. Mm -hmm. But am I is it me? becoming the reactionary or is it my generation is it is it more it's almost pre-destination right it's almost as if we're all just playing out our parts in the grander generational scheme that is what we call history yeah but you also do have autonomy as a human being right so I think there is an aspect of it where like, yeah, the general vibe may move in a certain direction, but you do have autonomy to make your own decisions, right? So I don't know if it's necessarily like you playing out a part or you going along with the vibe. They're not not saying like you specifically, but just like right. individuals in a in a particular generation. Because I think like boomers, for instance, I am friends with a lot of older people in the town that I live in. And the older people that I'm, you know, friends with, I would not classify as typical boomers. They are awesome boomers. I love them. They are like the coolest, raddest people. Uh, but they have kind of like shook off a lot of the nonsense that their generation has done. Right. And they are much more like aware, I think, yeah. of their presence and the presence of the generation, the impact that they have had. So to me, that's kind of what I hope for. If, if this theory is true, I want to be like, you know, I realized the word woke has now has like weird connotations, but like it used to be like awareness, I feel like. Right. And that's one of the things I, I want to be like more awake to what's happening more generally in my part right. in it. 
and my generation's part in it and hopefully can have like a wider perspective. That's at least what I want for myself. Whether or not I achieve that is a different story, but I would like to move towards it. Paul, I, I agree with you totally. That's exactly what I want. My problem is, as I keep on thinking about Aesop's fables, and I talked a little bit about this in my last Sunday sermon, but there's the Aesop's fable of how the bat became the way it was. And it was during a giant war between the animals versus the birds. And the bat said, I'm like both of you. I have fur, but I fly. And so I don't want to be, I don't want to fight. And so they sat the fence. And when the war was over between the birds and the animals, they told the bat, get the hell out. Go into the cave. You don't choose sides. How are you not going to choose a side? You got to choose a side. The animals and the birds now live in peace, but the bats are forced into the caves and can come only out at night. And what worries me, Paul, is that I really love being a, a fence sitter, but I can see where the fence sitters get ostracized. We have no team. In fact, we hate most of the teams. So what are we supposed to do? I I think the thing is, is that I'm okay with being ostracized if it's staying in line with what I believe to be correct. You know what I mean? Like if the bet was making the right choice and was like, this actually doesn't make sense. And I'm not going to pick a side in this argument. Good for the bat, dude. Honestly, like and the bats in its cave and the bat knows that it's right. Like, I think there is an aspect of like, you should stand by your morals and not just go with the group, right? you know, swim against the stream if you need to, you know, and I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I do that all the time, like that. I don't go with the stream because it's easier, but I think it's a good ideal to strive for is to maybe be the bat, you know? And so what you're saying is that all of us bats need to get together and then overthrow the animals and the birds. That's exactly what I'm saying. We need to have a bat revolution because bat revolution. I'm tired of this crap. This is the fourth turning we need, Paul. <laughs> the bat I, revolution. No, and here's the thing, too. And I would love to get people's feedback on this. So please email us, c2cpandpod.gmail.com. Um, I like we do intentionally not ever get like political or theological in a lot of ways. But like, I I feel like a lot of people have just naturally gravitated towards us that do agree with these types of things, like people that feel like they don't have a home in society or politics, where it's just like, this is all just feels like nonsense. So if this was cool for people to listen to, please let us know. And also, if it wasn't also let us know that, but like, we yeah. want the feedback, uh, but you're getting, you're getting us raw today. This is a, this is a raw episode, I'd say. <laughs> Dude, I feel like we work some stuff out here. I I feel emotionally tired, but like I did process some things that I needed to process. I'm feeling more positive than I felt in a long time. Are you? Being incredibly pessimistic. I feel slightly down. I feel more down than I have, but No, dude, I feel I feel the best I felt in a <laughs> long time. While just like spouting about the destruction of mankind, how everything's terrible, yeah, yeah. 
we'll get through it though because we got the first starting coming back around which is like creativity and awesomeness so like we'll come out of it we just got to work through the crap and this is the thing right it's going to be a new glorious world there for a good 10 or 20 years and then it's going to start a road and the whole thing goes back again and i and, and this is we can break this cycle that's the thing and i think that's the thing that our listeners need to come away with is that this is a cycle and cycles can be broken yeah and i think something i'm taking away from this too is like the idea of this too shall pass if you look at history right as a whole we always make it through periods like this we've never not and i think there's also kind of a cool thing that's happening where like what he said earlier was the people who live through the fourth turning have a great time in the first one because they live through the slog like they live through the crap and i think that was the problem with boomers was that they didn't live through the crap right now they're raging against the machine because they're just like they don't know how to deal with the fourth turning and I think we're all going to have a great time for the rest of our lives once we make it out of this, because this is going to be dope. It's going to be great. And this is the problem, is that the boomers were told stories of the Great Depression and World yeah. War II, right? They put their fathers and mothers on pedestals. And then at some point, they tore the pedestals down. And said, we want nothing to do with our heroes, right? They turned their back on God. Like, that's such a major part of becoming an adult, right? Is when you no longer see your parents as God. And I think eventually you're supposed to look back on your parents and be like, okay, well, they were humans, but they tried their best. Right. You get that 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 hard reasoning, but positive look on it. Right. Yeah. I don't think the boomers ever did that. And I think that is why we are in a more terrible turning than we have been in quite some time. You know, and not to get like too biblical with this, but that is a big part of the Old Testament is the idea that society as a whole does go through um kind of patterns like that of you know being very aligned with uh with god and then moving away from god and things go to crap for a couple generations and then eventually they come back and that is like the entire story of the old testament is like redemption and then the fall and then like dang we screwed up and then like finding your way back and then falling again and screwing up like that is like literally a thousand pages of the old testament is just that over and over again it's the exact same pattern and i feel like in a way that is the hebrew bible kind of having a similar concept to the turnings right of like totally it's very jewish it's very very jewish Jewish. very jewish and there's a lot of very jewish and that's that was kind of my point too about um you know christianity or judaism or you know islam or hinduism or whatever you want to insert here but there is a lot of like this is the human condition 
Right. And I think the human condition both applies to us like internally, but also externally as a society where we do go through cycles and motions like that. So I think there is a lot of value there for sure. But I also do understand what you're saying about how like, yeah, we're talking about sowing and seeds and sheep. And it's like, I don't know what's going on with any of that. So I don't know. A lot of a lot of thoughts today, Chris. A lot of things came up. So interesting conversation. Well, you, I feel like we should probably wrap it up at that point because I think let's we're vastly over time. Let's wrap it up, B. All right. This has been an episode, I think, of Coast to Coast PM. It was something. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. As always, send your thoughts to cdcpmpod at gmail.com, but we appreciate you listening. Support us at patreon.com slash coast to coast PM for extra episodes. Um, and that'll be it, Chris. I don't know. I kind of liked it. <laughs> You have an out. Do your outro. All conspiracy all the time. Later. Thank you.